30 to 20 minutes. Okay, thanks. Good luck. Thank you. I need it because you know that feeling you get where you think you're just going to pass a little gas, but a little squirt comes out instead, and you're like, that's how I feel right now. Sorry. I just drank some iced teas, and you know, they go right through me. <laughs> I'm John. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm also a member of Al-Anon. And I come from an alcoholic family. My mother drank, my father drank, my mother owned a bar, my father owned a bar. Everybody in my family drank, including me. And uh, it was a very dysfunctional, wild family. Uh, there weren't any boundaries, there weren't any rules. It was just chaos. You know, the, the Thanksgiving dinner flew out the back door and the Christmas tree flew out the front door. And when my mother and father were home together, the police were taking my father out of the house and the ambulance was taking my mother out of the house. So it was that kind of family dynamic. And being gay on top of that uh, was no picnic. So, um, I grew up on Long Island, where everybody talks like this, and uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Life was a nightmare. And alcohol, you know, just was the through line. It devastated my life, it devastated my family's life, and to this day, uh, it still does. It still permeates. Uh, so, um, I, um, so I drank, I'm sober 30 years, and, um, it's a day time. Um, and how I got to Al-Anon, um, so my father died in 1999, and that was the start of my downfall. Uh, so he was my main qualifier. Uh, my father. Um, he could be a very tender, sensitive man, but most of the time he was a brute. Um, and I, I avoided him. You know, growing up, my role in the house was, you know, I disappeared. I disappeared, I hid. I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want to be heard. I looked like a girl. I talked like a girl. I acted like a girl. My name was Johnny Girl, not Johnny Boy. So it was, you know, the shame instilled in me from when I was five, you know, around the, you know, four brothers. And my mother was kind of rough around the edges. <laughs> she was a barmaid. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I was this sweet, tender, glass-wearing, book-reading kid. You know, I might as well have come from Mars. I was plopped into this house, and, you know, my survival techniques uh, kicked in, you know, from five years old. So when my father died, it started this, I don't know, um, you know, complex relationship that I had with him. Um, 
my father had ca uh, eventually got cancer. Um, and when he got diagnosed, he sort of turned and he became nice. He sort of became, you know, he planted flowers and he grew bushes and he fed the squirrels and it was kind of amazing to tell you the truth. And he kind of stopped all of his nonsense with me, but I was still with my back up against the wall every time that I was with him. And um, so when he died, it just sort of started, I guess I was about 12 or 13 years sober, it started this ruminating uncomfortability inside of me. And then 9-11 happened, and I was living in Manhattan at the time of 9-11, and it really rocked my world. Um, you know, seeing the fires, smelling that smell, that awful smell. You know, I've been through hurricanes in New York, blackouts in New York, blizzards in New York. 9-11, New York came to a standstill. Not even a horn honked. And that was really frightening. And when I tell you not even a horn honked, I'm serious. Subway platforms were empty. And I was a wreck, as was, you know, a lot of people at that time, was a wreck. And, you know, that was another layer on top of what I was already feeling with my father's death. And then a couple of months after 9-11, uh, my sister's youngest child committed suicide. He was 18 at the time, and he was in college, and he hanged himself from a tree. And uh, my sister asked me to deliver a eulogy because I was the godfather. And, you know, going through that kind of family trauma was devastating. Uh, and, you know, again, you know, they're all, I'm sober, they're not. So, you know, unresolved alcoholism is, you know, play, being played out here. And then six months after that funeral, my youngest brother died from a heroin overdose. So we were all a wreck. I was a wreck. And so by this time, that's around 2002, and um, I started to just panic. You know, I would go into these panic attacks. And I walked, I remember I was on 8th Avenue, and I walked by uh, a diner and there was a woman sitting in the diner, and she was eating a bowl of spaghetti and meatballs. And I saw that spaghetti and meatballs, and I, I don't know, something in my mind transported me back to five years old, and my father picking up the bowl of spaghetti and meatballs that my mother had cooked and thrown it against the wall, and I had a complete meltdown fetal position on the sidewalk, you know, people walking over me to get, you know, to get to where they were going. And I got home to my apartment and my next door neighbor um, saw me and he took me into his apartment and I laid on his bed and I just literally wailed, wailed for a good 45 minutes and he just sat there and didn't say a word. And when I was done, he said, you need to go someplace. You need to get help. And so at his suggestion, at 15, uh, 15 years sober, I went to a 
um, drug treatment facility in Pennsylvania. And that treatment facility saved my life. You know, I, I went through a program called uh, the Breakthrough Program, and it was all about family, the family disease of alcoholism. And what I learned in that program was the things that I created as a five-year-old to survive in that household was no longer working for an adult, living an adult life in an adult world. And when I came out of that treatment center, they suggested that I go to Al-Anon. And at first, I was very resistant. You know, I was one of those alcoholics where, you know, I was not going to go to another fucking 12-step meeting, you know? <laughs> no way. It's a bridge back to life, not a bridge to other meetings. Like, that was my, <laughs> you know, thinking. But I went. I went because I was desperate. Just as I was desperate from drinking, I once again found the gift of, de of desperation. And I went to, you know, Al-Anon meetings, and I kind of heard the same language, but it was in a different dialect, and I had to keep going to figure out, what the fuck are they talking about? And I got it. I got it. I got that it was no longer, for me, and it's just my experience. I'm not speaking for the organization. I'm speaking from my experience was I had to have a shift in thinking from what they did to me to what was I doing to myself and how was I treating not only myself but how was I treating other people and how was I kind of living my life. I had been living my life in a dissociated state you know, for almost 20 years because I was so traumatized. Um, and I didn't really realize how dissociated I was until, you know, in sobriety, I, you know, I, I was working, I worked as a waiter for a long time. And then I got sober and I couldn't serve, I couldn't be around the booze. I couldn't, you know, go up to a bar and, you know, the smell of gin, gin and tonic would intoxicate me, you know, uh, delivering a frozen margarita to somebody and not wanting to, you know, sip it before I put it down on your table um, was too much for me. So I had to quit working as a waiter. And I went to college and I got a degree and, you know, I was doing all of these good things for myself, but I was not feeling it inside. I was still a piece of shit. I was still unworthy. I was still unlovable. I graduated from a very prestigious university in New York, and I didn't tell anybody. I did not tell anybody because I could not share it because it was too much for me to let you into my life. So I kept it to myself. And there I was sitting in you know, Washington Square Park in this, you know, cap and gown, and one of my classmates was Hawaiian, and his mother sent up three leis, three beautiful orchids, 
and he draped one around my neck when I walked into Washington Square Park, and I just lost it because didn't he know what a piece of shit I was, that he was going to give me something so precious? And I sat there in, 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 a, in that chair, and I, you know, I just cried throughout that entire ceremony, thinking, I am not worthy, I am not worthy. You know, that was my mantra for many years, I am not worthy. So when I got to Al-Anon and started to make this shift in thinking, it was, it was challenging, you know, it's challenging to change. It's challenging to, you know, the short version of the steps, you know, for me is, uh, you know, first we give up, is that it? First we give up, then we make up, then we own up, and then we grow up. And growing up in this process, was a lot, was a lot for me to handle. I was so shut down in my heart that the real me never really got out and I never was able to allow your love to come in because it was too scary, you know? It was just too scary to allow you to love me uh, and allow myself to love you. And I, I once read uh, in a Rumi poem that my task is not to seek love, but my task is to um, find the barriers that I have built that block within myself that block love. And I learned how to really do that by going to Al-Anon and listening, learning to listen and, and, and listening to learn. And I learned a lot of things about myself. I learned that how, how I was repeating patterns in my life. You know, I'm like 45 years old at this point, something like that. And um, I looked at my job, you know, so I'd you know, gone to college and I wasn't working as a waiter and I started getting these office jobs and I was wearing a white shirt and a tie and, you know, sitting at a desk in a cubicle. I felt like the biggest fraud in the world. Um, you know, again, you know, there I was trying to fit in, trying to fit in, trying to fit in, and never really fitting in. And uh, so my attitudes would kick in, as well as, you know, working, for me, working in offices, I don't work in an office today because um, I don't interact well with people in offices because to me, everybody's, everybody's acting out on their unresolved childhood bull bullshit and I just don't have the time for it. So I quit. I quit, you know, this job because the VP called us all into the boardroom to give some, you know, bullshit speech that I didn't want to listen to and, you know, whatever I'm written, feeling is written on my face, and at one point, I rolled my eyes, and he caught it. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, he calls me into the office, and he goes, so, John, I don't think you're very happy here. And I said, you're right, I'm not. And as soon as I uttered those words, you're right, I'm not, the voice inside of my head said, so what the fuck are you doing here? You know, like, this is your life. This isn't a game. 
and we amicably parted. I said, I will gladly leave if you don't contest my unemployment. And he said, I will not contest your unemployment if you stay for the next four weeks. Because <laughs> he needed me to finish up my, my, my duties. And I agreed. Now, that's the first time I left a job like that. You know, I had always left a, left a job with high drama. <laughs> you know, I was always right. I had a real, you know, chip on my shoulder. And I had that thick armor that nobody was going to penetrate through. I wouldn't let you. But then when I would leave, I'd be so broken. You know, Carlos said last night, you know, we were brokenhearted before we even knew that we were brokenhearted. My spirit had been killed, you know, by my parents who were maniacs, and I loved them to death. But I had a very smart therapist who one day sat me down, because I kept going back to Long Island, you know, for all the drama. I kept going back, kept going back. You know, my brother used to sit on my doorstep in Manhattan, you know, all junkied out. Johnny, buy my chain, buy my chain. You know, he'd have a gold chain dangling from his arm. And it was devastating. You know, this was my brother. And I could not separate myself from his disease because I had the same disease and it was breaking my heart. Um, I just went off on a tangent and forgot what I wanted to say. Um, does anybody remember? <laughs> what? Oh, leaving the job. <laughs> Long Island. Oh my God, don't ever go there. There's absolutely nothing there. I might as well have come from Nebraska when I got to Manhattan. Um, and I always say that if the Long Island Railroad had been going the other way, I'd be in Montauk right now. I was literally running, escaping the wrath of my father who was chasing me. I was 20 years old and he was chasing me out of the house. And I jumped on a train, you know, and I went to a gay bar and I met a guy and he told me about an apartment and I moved into that apartment in 1977 and I stayed in that apartment until 2012. <laughs> it was $700 in rent when I left. <laughs> right in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. But when I, when I moved there, Hell's Kitchen wasn't the gay destination that it is today. They were throwing people off the top of my apartment building. And I felt safe. <laughs> I felt safe there. <laughs> but so, you know, here I am, so I'm start so leave the rehab, go to start going to Al-Anon, start so I left that job and I started freelancing. You know, I started freelancing, I had no connections. I had no, I'm a writer, I, I, I work as a writer. So I started answering ads on Craigslist and you know, it started to work. I started to be able to build a career in what, in what I do. Um, it kind of was amazing because 
I found out in Al-Anon that, you know, repeating patterns to try and get the relationship with my parents right this time, you know, through other people, you know, I kept going into one abusive, not physically abusive or, you know, not so much emotionally abusive, but just they weren't right. And, you know, for me, it's like I'm going to stick this out to the bitter end. And I found that I didn't have to do that anymore. Do you know how freeing that is to not to, like, stop it, just cut it out, stop it, it's time to move on, this isn't working. So in 20, 2012, like, so after all the, all the, um, you know, all the stuff that happened with my family, um, you know, you stay around long enough and you outlive everybody. That's what, that's what really happens. You know, my father died, my youngest brother died, my oldest brother, who was a real MF, he died last year. And I had to go to all, you know, I went to all of their funerals still to be dutiful. But I'm f kind of free. I'm kind of free from my thinking because what I really learned by going to Al-Anon and listening to other people going through similar situations is how to open my heart, not blame, and forgive, and how to love. And it's really all about love. I find that just living life is all about love. And so I'm not perfect at it, but you know, the real challenge today is to love people that I don't have any respect for. You know, and there's a lot of chaos going on around us today in the world. And I think that we're the balance. We, we add to the balance of that negativity because we learn how to love here. I learned, through learning how to love here, I learned how to look beyond my fear and my self-doubt. You know, I was one of those New Yorkers living in that trap you know, this tenement walk-up with, you know, cockroaches and decrepit stairs, but it was $700, you know? And I, I, I woke up one, I was 55, and I said, oh my God, you know, like, what am I doing? And, you know, I gave it up, I walked away from it. My friends, my sponsor, you know, people thought I was nuts. You know, nobody gives up a rent stabilized apartment, but I did because it was a trap and I needed to let go of the trap and I moved here. I came to San Francisco. This was in 2012 and within <laughs> two weeks of me being here, listen, I'm not a relationship kind of guy, like, you know, I've never really had a lot of relationships in my life, romantic relationships. I've had a lot of sex, but not a lot of romantic relationships. But within two weeks of getting here, I met a guy, you know, at that little nudie Marshall Beach underneath the Golden Gate, and we just bonded. And <laughs> I was, I fell, you know, hook, line, and sinker in love, L-U-V. And we stayed together for almost two years. And then when uh, he decided that I was too much for him, you know, he, 
he left. He left me sitting in a restaurant and he just got up and walked out the door. And you know, my abandonment really kicked in. I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm never gonna be gay enough. I'm never gonna be this enough, that enough. And I was going to meetings here and I just couldn't be vulnerable because I was too scared to be vulnerable in a city that I really didn't know people and I didn't want you to really see how hurt I was. So my answer to that was to leave. And I went back to New York with my tail between my legs and I found a different rent-stabilized apartment, believe it or not, but this one was market rate rent. So there I was and I went back into therapy for three years to keep processing, you know, this, the core issue of abandonment, of not feeling loved, of not feeling like I'm ever gonna get it, whatever it is. Um, I know what I wanted to say. The therapist kept telling me, if I keep going back to Long Island and taking sips from the toxic well, I'm never gonna get better. And that's what I was doing with my family and with other active alcoholics by being with them. I kept myself sipping from a toxic well. And not that New York City to me is a toxic well, but when I went back this time and I stayed three years and I cried almost every single night for a year, you know, wondering what, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was going to a lot of meetings, processing, processing, processing. <laughs> and at the end of those three years, I said, you know what? I really liked living in California. <laughs> you know, and for me to say that I really liked something and then give it to myself is a miracle. It's a miracle. You know, the most frightening question that somebody could ask me was, well, what do you want? Huh? Huh? What? What do I want? You know, and I would get angry or I would shut down. Because that's a really difficult question to ask somebody who's never in their life gave themselves permission to get what they wanted. It was always what you wanted from me and how am I going to give that to you? And you know, how wrong my perceptions were of what I thought you wanted from me. Now I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But that was a long time coming, you know, plus age, you know, I'm in my 60s now. And uh, I realized that time's moving on, and this is it. This is, thank you, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This is real. And it's important for me today to not take sips from the toxic well it's important for me today 
to allow myself to admit to myself, to God and another human being, what it is that I want, and then figure out what are the blocks that I'm setting up, what are the barriers that I'm setting up that's preventing me from getting what I want. And you know, all of that is the shit in my head. It's not the love that's in my heart. And when I get out of my head and into my heart, my heart will never steer me wrong. And I really trust it. I really trust this today. Um, and working that muscle, you know, when we get a hunch and when we get a feeling and when we get an idea, to me, that's spirit talking to us. And sometimes we listen to it and sometimes we don't. And I notice that every time I don't, like if I get this feeling, you should make a right turn here. And I don't make that right turn and now I'm stuck in a traffic jam. I realize, oh, that I had the feeling, make the right turn. You know, and that's just something simple like that. Something like give up this rent controlled apartment and move across the country, you know, just follow that. And as scary as it was, I did and then to follow it, to go back there and then come back here, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot, but I'm, I, it's taken me, I don't mean to scare any newcomer away or <laughs> anybody away, but 30 years sober, 60 years old, and I can really say this today and mean it, I'm happy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.